0: Hi, everybody. It's Teach Kid to Read. As always, I'm Tony, and today I am with Karen Vogelsang. She works with Arise to Read. She is the executive director. Arise to Read is located in Shelby County, outside of Memphis, Tennessee. And Arise to Read is an integrated uh, literacy program that we're going to hear about a little bit today. Karen is a mother and a grandmother, and she loves to talk (laughs) about her grandkids and their adventures in the pool and on pirate ships and lots of good stuff. Um, Karen really is a literacy and education superstar. She has been the um, the Tennessee Teacher of the Year. I think you were Shelby County Teacher of the Year as well, weren't you? One year.
1: Yeah, the way that kind of starts out the the state is divided into nine core regions, so you kind of start out for your district and then. Um, then you're selected for the core region. Then from the core region, they divide you into um, West Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and East Tennessee Teacher of the Year. And then from there, it's Tennessee Teacher of the Year. So I am the 2015 Tennessee Teacher of the Year.
0: Well, I mean, how can you add to that? And, uh, and now you're the executive director of Arise to Read, which um, we're going to get into. Before we jump into sort of the professional side, Uh, Karen, I just love to hear, I'd love to hear about your first memory of when, when books, when books and reading really saved your life. When that was like something like, wow, this is, my life is different now than it was before.
1: You know, Tony, nobody has ever asked me that question before. That is such a great question. Um... You know, a little bit of background about reading for me. I'm the oldest of three girls. My parents were mm-hmm. immigrants from England. Um, so mm-hmm. by the time I got into middle school, I'd really surpassed their education that they had in, in England. Um, hmm. But as you were asking me that question, the thing that I remember, um, my, my two younger sisters are closer than age than I am with my next youngest sister. So I had my own room. And uh, one of the things that i love to do was I love to read Nancy Drew mysteries before I went to, to bed at night. And I just felt that that's just kind of like what I did at the end of the day. It was uh, reading. And and now, to be honest, when you talk about what saves my life, it's um, I, I'm a woman of faith. I'm a Christian woman. I have a relationship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, my mornings start out every morning reading his word kind of uh, help, help, you know, jumpstart my day every morning. So yeah, reading a huge part of my life, and I recognized very early on, before I became a mom, that um, education was uh, key to having opportunity, whatever that opportunity, right. whatever you want yeah. it to be. Um, but first and foremost, that starts with being um, a, not just a good reader, but a critically thinking reader.
0: Great, I love that, and um, I appreciate the fact you start out with pointing out. I mean, so often when we talk about reading, it's very functional, like. Everyone Uh needs to learn to read so they can get a driver's license and they can fill out a job application and they can get a bank account and navigate, which are all true. And the idea of living in this world, unable to read one in four American adults cannot read well enough to get a job, Uh um, according to the Department of Education. All those things are very true. We also forget about how reading also nurtures our whole self as human beings. And you talked about your faith and how reading in the morning is just central to building you to be the person that you are. And that one in four American adults, they don't have the opportunity to nurture their whole self in that way, to, to read things that, that feed the mind, feed the soul, feed the spirit and help us become more whole. So Anyway, I just like, I love that answer. And who doesn't love, love that question? Through? Good. <laughs> well, um, I, I uh, do a little bit of work and sort of, it's not, it's not like coaching. It's more like spiritual direction or helping people sort of get connected with their inner story. And so often it's just about asking a question in a different way. And it triggers those sort of unused parts of the brain, which is always fun. But, Karen, tell me about Arise to Read. Tell me what Arise to Read does. And you're the executive director, so there's nobody better to tell me than you.
1: (laughs) Well, um, Arise to Read just finished its 10th year supporting primarily second grade students uh, in Uh, partner schools throughout Shelby County. Uh, The history of Arise to Read, going back 10 years, started out with the founder, who is Donna Gaines, and she is a pastor's wife, and she's originally from Memphis, and she and her husband were uh, pastoring churches in Texas and Alabama, and they came back home Um, sometime around 2012, 2013. And Donna just saw the level of poverty that existed uh, in our city. And she was just praying Mm. over the city one day and she just said, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And and she just really felt like the Lord said to her, these are your children. This is your city. Mm. What are you going to do about it? And so basically what happened was at that particular point in time, here in Shelby County, there were two school systems at the time. There was a city system and a county system. And the two systems were going through the largest merger in education history. And I was a teacher for the district, the city district at that time. So it was chaos is a, is a mild word to describe what was going on. But Donna called the district to find out what she could do to help. And somebody actually answered the phone and found out that uh, a couple weeks prior when there had been a board meeting, the board had instructed the then superintendent need to find a way to get the faith-based community more involved. And so the short version of the story is what happened was that Donna collaborated with teacher leaders and curriculum leaders uh, in what was then Memphis City Schools to come up with a program that would target second grade students before that were, that were behind in their reading skills, and, but that would be very easy for any volunteer uh, to be able to deliver for that second grade student. So essentially what we do is we recruit and train volunteers from throughout the city We're a Christian organization. We don't expect anybody to believe what we believe. We welcome anybody who has a heart for for helping children become great readers and can pass a background check. Those volunteers are gonna work with two children, one each for 30 minutes during the hour that they commit to serving at that school. The program takes place during the school day, which is wonderful because then we can reach as many children as we have volunteers uh, instead of it being after school programming, which is usually pretty erratic. Um, But the volunteers go in and they work with the children on a very structured, simple protocol. And the great thing is that not only can the volunteers see how the children are progressing, but the children can see how they're progressing. So there's this incredible academic opportunity, academic growth that happens for the children. But beyond that, Memphis is usually number one or number two in childhood poverty in the country. So okay. we're serving primarily children in under-resourced communities. And maybe it's one of those one out of four that you were talking about, parent, that can't read. So they're not even having an opportunity to read to their child, right? Or have books, okay. have access to books at home. So. The other thing that happens is because our program is following the criteria of high dosage tutoring and that volunteer is a consistent presence week after week, same day, same hour, every week for the majority of the school year, the children feel valued, their self-confidence improves, their motivation improves. For many of our children, um, they have sometimes been labeled as behavior problems, but because of the attention that they get from the volunteers, uh, they go back in the classroom and they feel more equipped uh, to be part of what's taking place in the classroom and they get excited about learning so it's um it's an incredible thing to see happen and we see incredible growth um, for our students not just academically but also their social emotional well-being so that's kind of the 50,000 foot view of a rise to read
0: <laughs> uh, you couldn't have done better I mean that was that was a <laughs> rocket ship that was a rocket ship of information and uh, I Feel like another organization here's some of what I heard you say um uh, a lady a, a pastor's wife realized that there might be a need that there might be a need in her neighborhood uh her neighbor a way to love her neighbors maybe her forgotten mm-hmm. under resourced neighbors and we like to say there's nothing there's nothing less threatening than an eight year old child you know That's right. like, <laughs> so how can I how can I be a good neighbor to my eight year old neighbors and she discovered or was told by the school district that our big thing is much of our kids aren't learning to read and they come from tough backgrounds or under-resourced yeah. backgrounds, I apologize, and um, started a rise to Read. And though it's a faith-based organization, like you guys kind of take faith out of the equation. It's like you can come from any background you want to. All, all you need to yeah. do is like want to be able to read to children, be able to read, pass a background check, and, and be, be willing to free up an hour a week. And through doing that, you get to become the new best friend to a second grader to two second graders. And each of those yep, second, graders, second graders, yeah, they get a new best friend, a new reading buddy who not only helps them work through the reading process and the academic growth process to hit their benchmarks. So that by third grade, they are they are up to benchmarks and then they can survive the school system. And yep. the chances go up exponentially as far as getting through school and not dropping out. And not only that, but, but kids get um affected emotionally and relationally mm-hmm. uh, definitely there's nothing, like, there's nothing like having an adult come in your life and just say I believe in you I think you're smart yeah. I think yeah. you can do anything you want to what are your dreams and yeah. and also to discover their dreams through the through the gift of books like you yeah and that's about. the
1: other thing that we do um we provide books for all of the second graders in our partner schools we might only be Um, We use the term coaching in place of tutoring, but we might only coach, uh, say, 30 of uh, 100 students but we provide books uh, at Thanksgiving, Christmas, during Black History Month. And at the end of the school year, we provide every second grader in our partner school with um, a reading pack. And that reading pack's got six or seven brand new books in there, parent resource guide. It's got some swag for the kiddos, like a reading bracelet and some sunglasses, that say my future's so bright. Um, you know, just because if we, we know that if children have access to books, and they open those books, they can maintain their reading gains. And how do you fall in love with reading if you don't have access to books? And we know the stats, 61% of low-income families have no books in the home. I mean, so many of our families are worried about keeping the power on or how they're going to pay the utility bill or how right. they're going to pay the mortgage, how where they're going to get food from that weekend that books, you know, are an absolute luxury. So that's something that's critically important to us at Arise to Read, that we get books that um, our children can see themselves. We want them to have access to fiction and nonfiction, chapter books, single read books, um, books that integrate science and social studies topics, uh, because we want them to fall in love with reading. And we hear stories where the children have shared them with their younger siblings and, um, you know, read the books to their younger siblings to get their siblings excited about reading. So that's really really exciting when we hear stories like that.
0: This is just so everybody knows, this is the first time I've ever met Karen. Like I've known who <laughs> she is for a couple of years. This is the first time I've ever met her. And like, this is the best conversation ever. Like you, oh, you were so goodness. on it. <laughs> did, did you say that, did you say that like, even if only a third of second graders are in your coaching problem, a coaching program that every second grader gets the, gets the packet of books?
1: They all get the, the, all of the second graders will get books at at Thanksgiving, Christmas, Black History Month, and the the reading bag at the end of the year. So they'll go home with, on average, somewhere between 10 to 12 brand new books, all the second graders.
0: That's amazing. It's a lot of books. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you're, and you're blessing families. And then if multiple kids go through your program, you're just filling that house with books. With books, yeah. Um, So what, and that's thrilling. And I don't even sometime you and I'll talk about how you're funding all of this. Cause I'm super interested in that. Actually, do you <laughs> want to talk about that at all?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Absolutely. Um, Cause you know, I, big part a lot of, of our books. work. It it is a lot of books, and um, you know there are foundations out there that that love what we're doing and love the idea that we're providing access. I mean, if you think about it, having access to books is an equity issue, isn't it? Um, it is. not it we have got we've got families um, that live in under resourced communities that may not have transportation, and they they can't drive. There is not a library to walk to, so. We want to make sure that children have those books. So a lot of foundations, uh, I may write a grant specifically for helping us purchase books. And this past year, we purchased books for 3,200 children. So that's roughly 32,000 books. Um, so it, it is it's a lot of money. So there are foundations that we write grants to. We have individual donors that love the work that we're doing. The other thing that we do, though, is we also partner with churches, um, faith based organizations and businesses. And what we encourage them to do is essentially adopt a school and cover our costs um, because we're we're, we're per, we, we, per, we don't ask the school for a staple. Um, All we ask them for is what two days a week can our volunteers come? What time do you want them to come? And where can we do this? You know, what space can you give us? That's all we ask them for. And then from there, we are providing all of the supplies, everything that's needed to to implement the program. Um, If we have an adopter for a school, we will include in that adoption fee is essentially what we call it, but we'll include in that adoption fee a Part of the expense will be to fund teacher appreciation lunches for the teachers during their in service week. We'll provide them with a box lunch. And then in May, during teacher appreciation week, we do a catered meal. Um, you know, and if you think about the fact that we've got, we will have. We will go from 36 to 42 schools this school year because principals talk. We don't we've never knocked on a principal's door and said, hey, would you like to have a rise to read? Um, they they find out what we do and um, they get ex- they, they hear the impact that other principals um, students are, are, are getting and they want to be part of that. And so I always say yes. Um, but you know, with the number of businesses and faith-based organizations, it wouldn't take much if we had 42 of them each to adopt a school and help cover some of our costs there. But yeah, um, so the fundraising is really individual donations, uh, grants, um, and then having these uh, faith-based and business adopters, which that's the smallest part of our funding base.
0: Wow. Okay. So, you said so much in there. Uh, one thing that you said that I, I don't hear a lot of people say is we we talk a lot about food deserts in the sort of social care world. There's these food deserts people don't have access to, to healthy grocery stores with f- um, fresh fruits and vegetables that are affordable. Right. But right. They don't. We don't talk a lot about book deserts. And, and the odds are if my family has no age-appropriate books, Most of our immediate neighbors and immediate friends, their families also don't have books, age appropriate books. So everywhere I go as a child, I am not getting the chance to experience the equity issue you talked about, which is merely just the access, the access, the, the books, the books are a beautiful thing that they're a gift, even if I can't read. Your children, all children, before they learn to read, if they have access to books, love books. The they pages. sit, and yep. they flip through the pages, and they make up their own stories and they pretend yep. like I they know the, the words. And all of that builds, it builds a a, a fascination and a an an affection for yeah. the for books. And if they never yeah. have the chance to do that imaginative work, and they walk into a school and they encounter a book for the first time. Or as an adult, then books are suddenly scary. There's something that that maybe could be is an enemy, perhaps, you know. And so I just think all of that is really, really powerful.
1: Uh, you um, know, it, it absolutely is. And and you know, when as you were talking about that, you know, you think about a child before they ever enter um, kindergarten, you know, there's there's different foundational skills involved for children. So, you know, knowing that that the the book turns the you know, the, you turn the pages from the right to the left and that the pictures are at the top right. and the text is at the bottom. So, if a if a young child before they ever enter school doesn't even have that opportunity to touch that book and look at those pictures and even just like you said, use your imagination and make up a story by using the pictures, uh, right. that's character identification, setting, different things like that. All of those are building and just making all those little synapses in those brain, in that brain, just go boom, 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 and fire, and make those right. connections, so that when they get to school, you know, kindergarten, they're more likely to be kindergarten ready when they have access uh, to reading materials.
0: Yeah, and I love everything about the. You know, you guys are doing literacy five hundred one. You're not doing one hundred one. You're doing five hundred one. You're you're doing appreciation <laughs> di- lunches for teachers, and I mean, you guys, uh, you guys are so on it that I'm just really impressed. That there are people listening who don't come from a faith background, mm-hmm. and they're and I I can imagine there are folks that are like, wait, you guys, you guys are all religious folk, and you're doing this thing, and you're getting into the schools. So, like, what's your religious agenda? Like, what are you trying? what are you trying to do? Are you, you know, can you just address that a little bit? Like, are you trying yeah. to convert kids? You know, no, or,
1: no can you no, talk to that no. please? <laughs> yeah. You know um, there is the separation of church and state, right? And when we're inside the school building, our volunteers there are there to help children learn to read. And we cover this in our training. We let them know upfront who we are. We don't have a long list of these are all the things we believe, and um, but we just tell them, hey, we're a Christian organization. Um, we don't expect you to believe um, what, what we believe. However, whether you are a believer in, uh, in Jesus, in Buddha, in Muhammad, whoever, if nobody, if you're atheist, agnostic, you can't talk about your religious or lack thereof background while you're in the school building. You, you can't, go. it, that's not, it's not allowed. And, um, and, you know, if we ever found out somebody was doing it, we would have a conversation with them. They are there to help be, um, to help this young child that these two young children that they're working with learn to read. Now we've got some people that, that, you know, are, you, you know, they want to find a way to do that, or they, they're a strong believer. And I'll say to them, I'll, I'll tell them this, you're being the hands and feet of Jesus without telling them you're being the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what I'll tell them. Um, so now, Arise to Read is actually an acronym, it's a, and it stands for a renewal in student education and evangelism. So we've got the two E's. So one of the ways that we address the evangelism part is we have after school Bible clubs, and after school Bible clubs are permitted with principal approval and parent permission. So This past year, uh, we had nine Bible clubs that was up seven from the previous year. So we have after school Bible clubs for families that um, want their children from second to fifth grade uh, that want to help their kids learn more about the Bible. We supported about 200 children last year and we have a fun and engaging program for an hour once a week um, for those children whose parents have given them permission. But during the school day, we're there to help children become strong, critical readers, because the other thing that we share during the training is the fact that, you know, it, this isn't just impacting a child's life. It can spill over into a, the family's life. And if we don't help children learn to read, we're, we're impacting our communities, because then we don't have an educated workforce. If we don't have an educated workforce, who's going to want to come to our community and, and set up shops? They're not going to want to. And, you know, we're seeing, I think, uh, effects from the pandemic, you know, children that were not used to and didn't have access to technology at home, all of a sudden had access to technology at home and were expected to be, in a lot of respects, self-directed learners at home. Um, And they just got further and further behind in You know, you know the stats. If we've got two out of three kids in fourth grade not reading on grade level by the time they leave fourth grade, they're likely going to be incarcerated or they're going to need government assistance or they're going to be out there on the streets making some really bad choices. So reading affects all of us. Somebody's ability to read affects all of us.
0: Okay, so much in there. There is a ticking clock Mm -hmm. and. When you say fourth grade, it's not just, you know, fourth grade is a benchmark and then fifth grade, they have a chance to catch up or whatever. Fourth grade is sort of the end of the road. Like if you're not reading by fourth grade, there is no reading taught in fifth grade. So this really is we like that's why you guys focus on second graders. We have to like ramp them up and get them to the point where they've got enough momentum that they can make it to fourth grade. So I go beautiful. Applaud, applaud, applaud. Arise to read. Way to go. By the way, everybody, we're with Karen Vogel saying of Arise to read. Arise the number two, read.org, arise2read.org. Um, so in, in all of that, as you're working through all those things, COVID hits. You guys have been around 10 years, but COVID hits in your seventh year or whatever it was. Yeah. Can you just speak a little bit? You just did to the technology question, but what effect in Shelby mm-hmm. County, and nationally, but just you can speak for your county if you want to. What? How much farther did COVID kick these kids behind? Farther behind? Mm-hmm. Just kick them back? Where? Yeah. Um, can you talk to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our schools were closed for for two years um, from March of 2020. Uh, they did not reopen until. Uh, 2021. So we had 21, 22, Mm -hmm. 22, 23, the last two school years. Mm -hmm. When we pre-tested the students in 2021, these were second graders that essentially had that did not get the last quarter of instruction of kindergarten and then missed the entire year of first grade and then, you know, they were expected to be first graders online and then all of a sudden they're sitting in a second grade classroom. And normally, when you look at our statistics from um, the the years before COVID, typically the students that we serve are easily one year behind. Some of them are sometimes one and a half years behind. Some of right. them. Can even end up being a solid. They're pre-testing at a kindergarten level and be two years behind. What we noticed in two th- in the fall of 21, when we pre-tested the kids, their pre-test scores they were with the number of volunteers that we had access to, which was not as many as the as pre-COVID, but we were seeing at least one and a half years uh, behind, below grade level in terms of of their uh, just of their sight word ability. Uh,
0: right. So
1: very very far behind. This past year. Uh, we ended up pre-testing more than 1,600 students because the last couple of years, we've done a comparative analysis so that we can look at students in our program and not in our program and pre and post-test them so that we can get an idea about the impact of the Arise to Read program. And out of those 1,600 students, their, their average pre-test score was a, a mid-kindergarten level. So they were one and a half years behind. It's gonna be really interesting this fall because this fall we'll have kindergartners that have been in school for their kindergarten and first grade year. It's going to be interesting to see what those pre-test scores look like this fall. Um, it would be um, unfortunate if those pre-test scores are, are still where they were pre-COVID levels. Um, but, you know, until we get in there and do that. But that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, but and then as far as COVID goes, the interesting thing that happened for us was um you know we've got some faith based partners and one of those faith based partners reached out to us they a lot of them around Shelby County opened up their doors to be virtual learning hubs so that you know the the critical workers that needed to be You know, out there working first responders, doctors, nurses, et cetera, et cetera, could go to work. They needed somewhere for their for their child to be. So a lot of nonprofit partners and uh, faith based partners opened their facilities to be virtual learning hubs. And one of them reached out to us and said, we got 35 kids here and they can't read. Can you come help? And mm. we had about 300 volunteers. We had about a 1,500 um, volunteer base at that particular time. 300 of them were willing, smack dab in the middle of the beginning of COVID, willing to go into these virtual learning hubs and, you know, mask up and baby wipes and hand sanitizer and sh- plastic shields and the whole nine yards to go in and help kiddos learn to read. And we ended oh, up wow. working with about 300 children that year. Of, uh, from all grade levels, because obviously those virtual learning hubs, they had kiddos from um, kindergarten to high school. So we just went in there and pre-tested them. And if they were below grade level, we just met them where they were and tried to help um, advance their um, their foundational reading skills.
0: Uh, that's incredible testimony to what we're up against. And mm-hmm. we could go back any year over the last 20 years and the numbers would be overwhelming. Of the number of kids yeah. who were struggling to read, um, and how much that puts them behind, but we're not even aware yet of the full impact of COVID on a whole yeah. generation of kids. Yeah, and um, and the the need right now is is maybe greater than it's ever been, at least in modern times, because um, we we're we're still dealing with a wave that hasn't crashed.
1: Yeah, over us absolutely, Around absolutely
0: in light of that in light of the need being so great i mean you're down there in tennessee i'm up here in oregon you know i'm just in i'm in just liberal loving you know hippie central <laughs> country and i just love it to death up here but there's a lot of people who are just like boy i'm not sure we can trust um, i'm i imagine there's a lot of education leaders principals teachers like I'm not sure I can trust religious people to come into my classroom. Um where maybe we don't Tennessee have any of that might might have a little bit more of an open. Could you do you have anything to say to teachers who'd go, man, I'm just I mean, I, I hear you. I, I bet you'd be helpful, yeah. but I'm not yeah. sure the risk is worth it. Can you address that just a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, it's we have sites that are using the Rise to Read program in other parts of the United States. So yeah, a lot of them are in the south southeast part of, of the U.S. We've got other schools and districts that are using the Arise to Read program, and and it, it all the training and everything originates out of um, this office right here. Um, one of the things that, that we require is that we don't allow a volunteer to be alone with a student. So when we reach out and work with the school, we're typically going to ask them if they have an empty classroom or a space. And it's not volunteers just trickling in whenever they feel like it. If ABC Elementary says, I want Arise to Read to take place on Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m., we're going to find what we call a volunteer head coach. And that volunteer person is going to oversee the programming so that we're not putting... There is nobody in a school building anywhere across this country that's got extra time. Having been a teacher, I can tell you there's just no extra time when you're in the classroom, when you're in that school building. (laughs) There's no such thing as extra time, okay? Um, So we want to go in and be as invisible as possible. So that head coach is there overseeing the program. Then from there, whatever volunteers come in on Monday, right?, The volunteers, the children, and the head coach are all there in the same space together. So there's no isolation. And we are not there to indoctrinate a a child into the Christian religion. We are there to help children learn to read. And, um, and, you know, who would want to turn away an organization that's going to provide books for all of the second graders? And who's going to turn away an organization that is able to, you know, recruit uh, financial support from businesses and um foundations, other nonprofits, whoever it may be. I mean, when I was named teacher of the year, no, nobody brought me a box lunch or, you know, took me out for a meal. Um, these teachers just feel like they're absolutely appreciated because it's not just the right. second grade teachers. We're giving these meals from the custodian to everybody all the way on up to the principal Love it because we want them to feel valued. We know, I know Love how it. hard it is to be in the classroom. So, um, you know, Memphis and Shelby County is a very liberal part of, of, uh, of Tennessee. It's not red like right. the rest of the state, um, but we have never had anybody um, push back on us. I did have a Rotarian once kind of challenge me on some things, and I'm just, <laughs> that was a fun conversation. But it's like I said to him, I, I don't care what you believe. If you have a heart for helping children learn to read, come on, you know make a difference for a couple of kids for a year and help them become better readers. And he did. Um, we had no. obviously very diff- big differences in terms of our, um, of our, of our faith-based values and whatnot, or just our, our faith perceptions. I shouldn't even say values, but um, you know, we ended up becoming, you know, pre COVID, we had regular conversations with one another, but he ended up serving. So Yeah, there, nobody should, I would never want anybody to have any apprehension about engaging with the Arise to Read program because they think our volunteers are going to go in there and evangelize kids. That's not what we're there for. We're there to help them become good readers.
0: And I think it's a, it's a really important point. I mean, to our friends all around the country who come from, you know, red or blue or purple areas of the country or whatever it might be. um, You're, you're in Tennessee. And you're not having any problems with this. Mm. everybody who comes, all the all the church church loving folk that come and, and volunteer for you, you tell them you leave your religion at the door when you walk in and you're there to read with kids and everybody yeah. says, absolutely, I'm on board and nobody's yeah. you know nobody's second guessing it. And so um if down there, and you know down there in the the middle of the bible belt
1: in the bible belt
0: if, <laughs> if people are if people are are playing by the rules and going we know that schools for school and churches for church and the two things should not overlap and they're willing to go along with it we shouldn't worry about it around the rest of the country where all the no. all the church going folks up here in portland they they know how to they know how to swallow their faith and not talk about it if they need to Cause you never know what room they're walking into. So up here, it's not going to be a problem at all. So yeah, I love that testimony. I want to touch on one more thing, which you kind of got to there sure. at the end. Um, what would you say to churches who go, well, I'm sure it's real nice to read with kids, but that's not really what churches are here to do.
1: Mm, the church's mission question, is different Sony. than that. Yeah. Can, you,
0: can you just address that for me?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I say quite a bit is that for, for me, my, my heart goal is how are we ever going to get kids to fall in love with the Lord if they don't know how to read, you know, and, and if, if, you know, to me, the, the first folks that should be out the door helping children read are the folks in our, in our faith-based um organizations and in our business organizations, because, um, you know, again, if we want children as Christians, if we want children to fall in love with Jesus and surrender their lives to Jesus, they've got to be able to read the Bible. It's the same whether that that child might have a Jewish family, a Muslim family, whatever. They want them to be able to read the text that goes along with their with their religion right and this is an opportunity for anybody regard whatever their faith background is to just be in service to children to help them become great readers because again it's not just affecting these two children it's affecting the family it's affecting our community so it's a benefit for all of us to help teach these children how to read because they're not going in there reading to the kids that's a wonderful thing to do they're going in and helping children read and then for the business community again going back to your point really by the time i've i've taught first second third and fourth grade and when i was a first and second grade teacher if i had kids that were behind I always encourage the parents, let them spend another year with me. I'd always say, let them, they need another year to cook um, because their foundational skills weren't really strong. It's like, in my mind, it's like building a house. If you're going to build a house, you're not going to stick two by fours in the sand and think it's going to have a really strong foundation and stay up during a storm. Mm. But that's what we're doing with our kids. We're trying to stick two by fours in sand and go, oh gee, I hope they can pass that third grade test. Um, And and then when I move to third grade, I was already national board certified at that point, but I was like, boy, I wasn't lying. Because now the kids are transitioning from learning to read to reading to learn. So if they don't have that foundation to be able to read, how are they ever going to be able to read to learn? And then just like you said, fourth and fifth grade, they're teaching comprehension skills. They're not teaching kids how to, you know, figure out that TH is, is, you know, makes the one sound and combine that with AT and make the word that. They're like, let's do an analysis and compare and contrast these two characters. That's what's going on in fourth and fifth grade classrooms, not figuring out how to decode a word. So, you know, for, for businesses, faith-based organizations, individual community members, other nonprofits, foundation, government leaders, we've got to address this problem early. We've got to make sure that foundation is solid before they ever get to the third grade. If not, it's going to affect all of us.
0: That's great. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of an academic and I can tell from time, all the books behind
1: you. <laughs> uh, they're
0: all children's books. I know. I can um, see that. Uh, you know, for for millennia, churches were ne- you know they were established next to a school or mm-hmm. uh, religious people who started most of the great universities of the world. Um, yep. And parish parish churches had a parish school and there was this idea that we were responsible for everyone in our neighborhood the flourishing yeah. of every person in our neighborhood, not just the people who go to our church, our parish is our responsibility. And if someone lives inside our parish, they are our responsibility to yeah. help them, to bring them human flourishing, to make sure everyone is fed. Everyone has a bed. Everyone has a hope and a future and a job. Yeah. And that this was part of the responsibility, of the historical church It's thought that the church should get into the literacy business. The question is why did people of faith get out of the literacy mm. business? because right we because people of faith have always been in, has always been in it and yeah. um i i wouldn't be the first one to point out that in history one of the names for christian people followers of jesus specifically were people of the word mm. and um so I, I, I as you can see i spend a lot of time on this question talking with religious folk about it and uh, processing it karen i have taken up so much of your time and oh, no, I've enjoyed it. It's so gone by so quickly.
1: It. Oh, you're so sweet.
0: And you're so good. You ask good great
1: questions, which I love. Oh, I love questions. <laughs>
0: good. So we might have to do this again sometime. But um, right now, to. before I let you go, is there, is there anything you haven't said, like things you're just like, man, this is like one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to kids and literacy? Or is there anything that you would want to say that you haven't had a chance to say?
1: You know, I guess as you're asking me that question, the thing that's coming through my mind is um, don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid mm-hmm. to step into that space and think that you can't help a child learn to read because you can. Um, it, it's 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 not difficult. You don't have to be an educator. And then the other thing I would say is don't be afraid to step into an under-resourced community. Mm-hmm. Don't uh, – one of the things that I always share um, – When we're doing a training is, you know, if a child comes in and they're falling asleep on the desk or something like that, don't start making assumptions about, well, well, that child's got a bad parent or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I started my teaching career in a suburban school and then I followed my assistant principal when she became principal in an urban school. And I thought I was, you know, I'm a second career, I was a second career teacher. I thought I knew what I was walking into. I had my urban education class. I read the paper. I listened to the news. I thought I knew all about poverty, you know, and then I get into this, into this school and I'm going home crying every night for like the first two months. Cause like, what have I done? I am totally out of my league. And thankfully I had a teacher across the hall that was just became a great mentor for me. And I fell in love with urban education and I fell in love with my students. So I would just say, you know, Walk in there with high expectations. These are our children. They're not those children. They're our mm-hmm. children. And it's our responsibility to step in the gap, faith-based or no faith-based person. But it's our opportunity. It's our obligation to step in the gap and help these children become great readers. Because I told my kiddos all the time, whether I taught first, second, third, or fourth grade, You can do and be anything that you want to be. But first and foremost, you've got to be a really good, strong reader and think about what it is that you're reading. So step into that uncomfortable space and help a child. Um, And the thing that I always hear from our volunteers, they'll say, Karen, I thought I was going in to help two kiddos, but those kiddos made an impact on me. It's a win-win situation. And to me, it doesn't get any better than that.
0: That is where we're going to end this. Everybody, um, that is Karen Vogel saying she is with Arise the number two, read.org, arise to read, arise to read.org. Karen, thank you so much for being here. You were a wealth, Tony, and a delight.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: I'm Tony. This is Teach a Kid to Read. Um, please go to kid to read.com and um everybody there's there's no such thing as a illiterate child they're just children that haven't had an adult come into their lives tell them that they're important and help them learn how to read so let's do that together have a great
1: day
0: teach a child to read give a child a chance it's as simple as that